Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee. Welcome once again. As Ryan said, we're thrilled to have you with us this morning as we worship, and it's time now to turn to uh, the ministry of God's Word um, in our reading and proclamation. So if you have Bibles, we're going to continue in John's Gospel. You can turn there with me to John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. Our passage, as always, is printed for you in our order of worship. You can just flip there as well. And just to give you a little bit of context before we read this morning, um, if you were here with us last week, uh, in chapter 9, Jesus healed a blind man. And that's important to know because after that man is healed, um, he is questioned by the Jewish leaders regarding his relationship to Jesus. And John tells us that because he refused to denounce Jesus to those leaders, that the leaders of Israel cast him out. And in casting him out, basically what they were doing is deeming him outside of the fold or outside of the people of God. And so this passage serves as Jesus' response. He is the true shepherd of Israel, and he will take his scattered sheep, like this blind man, and he will regather all of those sheep around himself. He alone is the true good shepherd. For our young disciples this morning, our young Christians, something for you to think about. Um, This passage is about sheep farming, something probably none of us know that much about, um, about sheep and a shepherd. Sheep are notoriously not very smart animals, okay? But they do one thing very, very well, perhaps better than any other animal. So I want you to listen for what that one thing is. If you're able this morning, would you stand now for the reading of God's holy word? John chapter 10, starting in verse 1, we'll read through verse 21 together. John records Jesus saying this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. And the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers." This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved, and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, he sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. 
I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, we thank you for your word to us this morning. We pray that we would know better Jesus to be our good shepherd, that we would rest in him and trust him with the entirety of our lives. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So Jesus' shepherd has been one of the church's most treasured portrayals of who kind of he is in our lives. You see it come down through art and through music. Jesus is our shepherd. This image is not unique to John, okay? So you'll find it throughout the New Testament. Um, Beyond that, the roots of this particular image run very deep into the Old Testament as well. For example, um, you may know this, but Moses, uh, Moses was a shepherd vocationally. And then God calls him the shepherd of Israel. Same is true with David. David started his career as a shepherd, and after even he became king, his leadership was often cast in terms of him caring for sheep. The prophets, the kings, the teachers whom God appointed as leaders over his people, over Israel, they were often called shepherds. However, the chief shepherd in the Old Testament was always God himself. Always. So, for example, we just read in our liturgy, Ezekiel 34. That is without question the background for our our passage this morning. And then among others, the most well-known psalm is Psalm 23. I mean, how it goes. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. So the language of shepherding, while probably unfamiliar to us, a little bit foreign, I mean, I, I would probably bet that none of us knows a shepherd here at all. It was so common in the ancient Near East that everyone could understand that image, no matter how educated you were. And so by it, common people, everyone, could really grasp the heart of God, could grasp his care and his compassion and his claim by knowing him as a shepherd. And I just point that out this morning to say this, you know, um, in John's gospel this morning, we have two more I am statements. There are about seven in John's gospel, seven I am statements. And those I am statements are always helpful as metaphors to understand the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus to us, but they always function as more than metaphors. They are always a way for Jesus to say that he is, in fact, Yahweh. He is Israel's God in sandaled feet in the flesh. And so what we have before us this morning is we have the good shepherd of Psalm 23 who has come to his people. We're going to look at that this morning. Here's the big idea. Here's what I want you to come away with. As we leave, as you exit here this morning, I want you to have a deeper sense of Jesus' love for you personally. A deeper sense of his care and compassion for you, his love for you, and also for that of his people. So we need to ask the question Jesus calls us to ask it, what is it that makes him so good as our shepherd? I just want to point out three things for you this morning from our passage. 
Here they are. First of all, what makes Jesus good as our shepherd is that Jesus looks for us. That is to say, Jesus goes and he finds his scattered sheep and he brings those sheep back into his fold. All to say that Jesus is the great missionary that God has sent for his people. Number two, Jesus not only looks for us, he looks after us. He takes care of us as one who is completely bonded to us. You need to hear me say this again this morning. We say it often, but Jesus loves you way more than you love him. And then number three, he not only looks for us and looks after us, but he lays down for us to save us. And what we're going to see in that last point is that this is where the whole shepherd metaphor either breaks down or just bursts beyond the life of the metaphor because no good shepherd in the ancient Near East would do what Jesus did and intend to die for the life of his flock. No one could do that. So Jesus looks for us, he looks after us, and then he lays down his life also to save us. Let's look at those three things in turn this morning. First, Jesus looks for us. If we turn back to Ezekiel 34, 11, those verses aren't marked for you, but it was in our liturgy this morning. What we find there is that this idea of God seeking his sheep was always God's heart. He says there in Ezekiel 34, 11, God does, behold, I, then again, I, myself, that's three times for emphasis, will search for my sheep and seek them out. If you were to go all the way back in the story the Bible is telling to the Garden of Eden, um, chapter 3, you may remember that the first thing that happens after Adam and Eve eat the forbidden fruit after the fall, after they rebel, is that they go and they hide. And the first thing that God does is he comes and finds them and he asks a question in that moment. He says, where are you? First thing he says, that is the voice of the shepherd looking for his lost sheep. And here in John 10, there are two groups specifically that Jesus goes looking for. First group we read about in verses two through three. These images, by the way, are kind of mixed up, but the Bible can do whatever it wants, so it's fine. Um, verses two through three, the shepherd goes into this shared pen, and in a mixed flock, he calls out in this mixed flock to his own. If you read it there, his sheep recognize his voice, and Jesus leads his sheep out of that pen. And in that case, this group is the flock that Jesus is taking out of Israel. And what Jesus is doing here is just describing something that has already been taking place throughout his ministry. Some in Israel, like the blind man we just read about, have heard in the voice of Jesus the very voice of Yahweh. And Jesus is gathering those sheep, those disciples to himself, and he is forming in those sheep, a flock around himself. The second group is mentioned in verse 16, and it's the, the fulfillment of uh, Ezekiel 34, 13. Ezekiel 34 says this, I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them out into their own land. So in verse 16, Jesus says this, I have other sheep that are not of this fold, that is not of Israel, now listen to what he says. He says, I must, I must bring them also, and they also will listen to my voice. Until what? There is one flock and one shepherd. And friends, this is the clear purpose of God since he articulated those purposes to Abraham 
in Genesis 12. It is to gather to himself one people, one people from every tongue and tribe and nation whose unity will be found in one thing and one thing only. We are gathered around one shepherd. And all of those sheep, that flock, have heard his voice and listened to that voice and known that voice. And I want to point out the, 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 the critical thing here for us in, in this point is really about the voice of, of Jesus. It is hearing the voice of Jesus and recognizing his voice, his word, as the voice of God in your life. And it's a little bit strange the way that, that it's described here. Here's how the experience goes mysteriously. The way that Jesus describes this experience is that he calls to us. And will you notice in verse 3 that it says he calls to us by name? That is, he calls to us individually. In hearing that call as familiar somehow, we respond in faith to someone whom we recognize has known us and loved us before we have known and loved him. If you are here this morning and you are a Christian, my guess is this, that you have a sense that Jesus sought you before you sought him. That he was always looking for you first. That he was the one calling you and seeking you. And if you are here this morning and you are not yet a Christian, emphasis on yet, number one, let me say we're so glad you're here. Something for you to think about. Are you resisting the voice of God right now in your life? Eventually, Eventually, if you belong to Jesus, that, that voice will break you down and you will recognize it as God calling to you. But I would say to you, why wait? Why wait? Listen to how C.S. Lewis describes his conversion to this very point. He says, picture me alone in my room, night after night, feeling the steady, unrelenting approach of him whom I so earnestly desired never to meet. That which I greatly feared had at last come upon me. And he says, in 1929, I gave in and I admitted that God was God and I knelt and prayed, perhaps that night, the most dejected and reluctant convert in all of England. I did not see then what is now the most shining and obvious thing, that God will accept a convert even on those terms. Lewis says this, the prodigal, if you're the story of the prodigal son, the prodigal son at least walked home on his own feet. But in this case, God had opened the high gates to a prodigal who was brought in kicking and struggling and resentful and darting his eyes in every direction for a chance to escape. Lewis says this, I was compelled to come in. Then he ends it this way, the hardness of God is kinder than the softness of men. And his compulsion is our liberation. Some of you may recognize something of yourself in Lewis's experience. Not all of you will recognize that. But the point I want to make to you this morning is that the call of Jesus, though gentle and gracious, is stronger than the stubbornness of your resistance. And how big is Jesus' heart for this work? Like how much does he really care about lost sheep? Well, you may know that in Luke's gospel, uh, John t uh, Jesus tells a story about lost sheep. He says, look, it's a parable that, um, that I will, as the shepherd, I will leave the 99 
who I've gathered to myself an open country. And if there is one that is lost who is strayed, I will leave that 99 and I will go search for the one who has lost his way. 99 for one. Now, if you work in business or you work with inventory, that's not a good deal. Like you would never, you would never like hire someone for that, right? But if you're a parent, that math adds up. We lost our kids on a hike once. I've told that story, not gonna belabor you with the details, not our best moment. But here's what we didn't say. We never said, you know what? We're at least coming home with most of them. (laughs) We got the 75%. No parent would say that. And neither would Jesus say that as the good shepherd. He has promised that he will not stop searching until all of his sheep are gathered. And friends, as a church, this says something about our own mission as well. Who Jesus is as a missionary always implicitly tells us what our mission should be. We follow the good shepherd into the world to seek lost sheep. And when we do that, in doing so, we should be marked by the same heart that he has. Persistence and patience and compassion and a never giving up, a never failing. And what we have to do when we go into that work is trust that he is always, always ahead of us. He loves lost sheep more than we do. He makes it his goal to seek them. Number two, he looks after us as well. Let me just point out a few things about how Jesus cares and nurtures us from the passage. You're gathered here this morning. How can you count on the care of Jesus in your life? First thing I want you to notice is that Jesus brings his sheep into his fold, that is, into the life of his church. Now, I would just say this morning that that is both good news and bad news. The bad news is that what you find when you go into that fold is more sheep, and sheep don't always know what they're doing. And sheep, we learn, bite each other, and sheep can be whiny, and sheep get sick easily, and sheep, again, are not the smartest animals. So I would tell you again this morning that the fold, the life of the church, is not always safe. Now here's the good news. It is way safer inside the fold than it is outside of it. There is safety in numbers. And one of the ways that Jesus cares for you is he calls you into the life of his people into fellowship with those who also belong to him by faith. Second thing I want you to notice is that Jesus, we've already said this, knows each sheep by name. He, he, he knows you personally. You know, this is why, one of the reasons at least that Psalm 23 has resonated so strongly with God's people over the centuries. How does that psalm start out? David says, the Lord is our shepherd. That's not what it says. What does it say? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And to say someone or to know someone's name in the Old Testament was always a signal for a special bond that you shared with that person. For example, when God, when Yahweh wanted to describe the special bond he had with Moses, you know what he said? I know Moses by name. That means more than God knew Moses' birth certificate or your birth certificate. It was a way of saying and signaling that that God walked with Moses in close personal friendship and fellowship. And what this means here is that Jesus knows you. 
Like he knows you. He knows you personally better than you know yourself. Jesus knows your individual heart and your temperament. He knows your struggles and your gifts. And as your shepherd, he knows how to care for you personally and individually. Listen to how this knowledge is put in verse 14. Get this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And here's the kicker, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And Jesus is saying that the intimacy that he shares with the Father is the same quality of life sharing that he has with you. You'd say he probably knows the Father pretty well, the Father knows him pretty well. That is the kind of knowledge that Jesus brings you into as well. And as a church, we should always step back for a moment and say, what does that mean for life here at Covenant? If it is a priority for Jesus to go find lost sheep, it should be a priority for us to do so as well. If it's a priority for Jesus to know us, it should be a major priority for us to know one another as well. So my challenge to you this morning is that you would not only show up on Sunday mornings, but that you would apply yourselves to that task, to fellowship in the life of God's people in such a way that real friendships are being formed. And those real friendships are being cultivated and formed in which real conversations and real hurts and real struggles are not just like theoretical or possible, but they're becoming normative in our life. One of the struggles in communities like ours and this church is in an affluent community. Doesn't mean that we're all affluent, but it's where we go to church. One of the struggles is that it's so easy to hide behind competency and money and busyness and polite conversation. And I tell you that because it may be harder for us. We may be good at some things, but it may very well be harder for us to know and to be known in a place like this. And so let me just give you a first step. Know each other's names. Jesus knows us by name. Know each other's names. Everyone likes to hear their name. Everyone likes to hear their name called. And we have a lot of people around here. You know who also likes to hear their names called? Kids. We have a lot of kids running around here. I used to, when I was a young adult, think, gosh, if you have more than two kids, I, I think I'd get a pass. Until I became one of those people that has more than two kids. And so I think it's a bad rule now. The whole flock should be known by one another, know each other's names, we need to know each other. Now back to Jesus for a moment. He knows you, he cares for you. He does so in contrast to the hired hand in verse 12 who's doing it for a paycheck. God wants to say that Jesus is doing it instead because you are his own. And his goal for you in verse 12 is not just to add to your days, it's not just survival, it is for you to have life and to have it how? Have it abundantly. Now let me say something to those who aren't experiencing that. Now some of you, under Jesus' care right now, are experiencing life just the opposite. It is really broken, it is sad and it's hard. So what do we say? Here's what I would say to you gently. Trust him. Trust his voice 
in his word. And here's the answer I, I, uh, to the question I posed earlier to our children in the beginning. Yes, sheep are notoriously helpless. They are notoriously dumb animals. But sheep have one trait above others. You know what it is? A sheep learns to heed its shepherd's voice. And a sheep learns to stay close to their shepherd. And a sheep learns to depend on their shepherd no matter what for help. And as a Christian, that is without doubt the most intelligent instinct of all. And so you may not feel it. Um, you may not be experiencing life abundantly, but do not trust your circumstances. Trust the voice of your shepherd who has promised that he is walking with you and who has promised to care for you individually and who knows how to look after you. Jesus looks for us and he looks after us. Finally and briefly this morning, maybe the climax of this passage, it says that Jesus lays down himself for the sheep. Look, with me, look there with me at verse 11 again. And by the way, this is also what makes Jesus the door of verse 9. Verse 11 says this, I am the good shepherd. Okay, Jesus, and what does your goodness consist? The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Important to say this, but a good shepherd in the ancient Near East would have certainly risked his life for his sheep, the best shepherds would have, to fend off the enemies we read about in this passage, like wolves and uh, thieves and even bears. However, it would have made no sense for a shepherd to intend to die for the flock because that would have left the flock entirely exposed. So this is where the metaphor breaks down. When Jesus says, I lay my life down for the sheep, listen to me, that construction in John's gospel always means sacrifice. Now we haven't gotten there yet, but in John 15, 13, Jesus is gonna say this, Greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friend. And what that always means in John's gospel is that death is the only means to life for the one on whose behalf that life is being laid down. So let's go back to the Old Testament for a moment. Why did shepherds raise sheep in the Old Testament? Well, they raised them for clothing, some, and some for food, but... They also raised sheep to become sacrifices of atonement in the temple for the sins of the people, including those shepherds themselves. You have to see this. The whole thing gets flipped on its head. Because now we have a shepherd who is being raised to become the sacrifice for the atonement of his sheep. And on the cross, it is Jesus, your shepherd, laying down his life. Remember, knowing you inside and out, knowing you inside and out, laying down his life, knowing you by name. And there he atones fully and personally for your sin with you on his heart. This is exactly what makes Jesus the door. The door was the only lawful way into the flock. And what makes Jesus the door is that by his life and death for you, he has become your only lawful way into the presence of God and into the assurance of his care. Remember Psalm 23? Some of you will know that psalm kind of by heart, or at least if I say it, you'll remember the images there. David says this, even though I walk, what? Even though I walk through 
the valley of the shadow of death. I will fear no evil, for you, my good shepherd, are with me. What did Jesus do instead? Jesus walked into the valley, not through it, into the valley of death itself, and he did so alone. And by his choice, he died for you so that by your name, he might call you. And by your name, he might lead you through every other valley, even death itself, into green pastures and beside still waters. He's your good shepherd. He sees you, he seeks you, he gathers you, he leads you, he loves you, he is with you. He is your good shepherd. You need not want. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the different ways that you cast your ministry to us, your love for us, your care for us. We thank you this morning that what we see is a good shepherd leading, knowing, loving us as sheep. And even more than that, a shepherd who gave his life so that by his life, those sheep might come into abundant pasture forever. Lord, would you grow in us an appreciation, a trust for your active love in our life through the life of your son? Would you help us to rest in him? as our good shepherd and in him alone. And to say together, you are our shepherd, we shall not want. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about Covenant, please visit covenantpres.com.